Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. You couldn't wash my shorts. And I am the Beastmaster, Fran Shane. <laughs> oh, man. Welcome to episode <laughs> 210, Heatwave 1996. No tagline. Slight applause for Shane. That might have been your best in a while. <laughs> well, thank you. This is the third annual Heatwave produced by ECW. It would take place on July 13th, 1996 from the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with an attendance of 1,500 people. Hanging from the rafters. Biggest crowd ever. Indeed. I think our last biggest was like 13. 1450? 14, yeah. Yeah. People Uh, people, uh, just hanging out on the outside of the building. The little walkway they had between the front row and the ring is now just a, a hand. Yeah. Just one dude standing there sucking in his gut. Yeah, like, stay if, behind yeah. me. Reach out and touch the ring. Uh-huh, yeah, fifty. Yeah, you can get fifty more people in there, but now Sabu's going to just break his neck again on the. Bar. I think they just started just piling people into the area over the over the front door now. Oh yeah, like the not the not so nest, the eagle's nest. Actually, part I've, heard, two. I've heard that that is actually the eagle's nest. Oh, is it? Hmm. And the area that they record from is the production area not but i still call it the eagle's nest so i feel like anytime yeah. i say eagle's nest i mean like, the production area i'm hoping that yeah. they didn't have like that's a like hard the, camera side that they weren't trying to seat or something like that because yeah, that's where they, they do way more action over there anyway where yeah. it's like that's where the those that little platform is and then and know, think that they didn't have to get up to the production area through a ladder on a platform they'd probably seat some more people right there as well yeah absolutely some skinny bleachers. Yeah. But we are in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We are. So Shane, did you do what you do? Well, as we know, been doing this little culinary beverage adventure around the globe for 140-something episodes now. By around the globe, you mean mostly Philadelphia. <laughs> mostly Philadelphia, yes. So as I've mentioned in previous Philly episodes, it's gotten very difficult to uh, find something authentic to Philly, so I've been letting the show inspire me. A show such as Heatwave sounds like you know something that happens, obviously, during the summertime, which it did, being July. So uh, you know, I thought something ice cold and refreshing would be uh, the thing. We always appreciate yes. ice cold and refreshing. Absolutely. Some of these so shows what we get have sweaty. here is inspired not only by a hot summer day, but, you know, those damn Dudleys just keep running amok here in ECW. So what you have here is the Dudley. Pretty simple, but pretty tasty. I actually added a little something extra to it just because I thought I needed to find a way to stretch it further in the glass. This feels way too classy for the Dudley. <laughs> it does. It is equal parts Jack Daniels and peach schnapps. Just so we could have more than a shot because I I wasn't doing the math properly in my head of how big the bottle was on the refrigerator. Also, after uh, all, it's an ECW show. Yes. So I added a little club soda to it as well just to stretch it out. 
so it would fill these big tall glasses appropriately and then garnished it with a cherry yeah it's back in my day of starting out drinking one of the first drinks i had was a royal peach which is basically the same thing only that was crown royal and peach schnapps equal parts mixed and we just drank it as a shot back then yeah, smooth peachy warming but still ice cold and refreshing considering the ingredients this is a lot like smoother and brighter tasting than i would have expected peach schnapps i guess are, you know very strong flavor. yes yeah peach schnapps will uh cut through the uh the taste of your whiskey or bourbon and it, it makes it very very smooth and easy to drink you know, i didn't really care for whiskey until i started drinking it with peach schnapps and then i was able to let the whiskey overpower the peach schnapps to where i could just handle straight whiskey yeah ease, ease your way into it yeah i mean it's poison after all <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the the dudley i'm not so this is not called, mad at it. called the dudley yeah this is this is the dudley cocktail okay there was another one that had like 16 different ingredients in it and it was like yeah i know there's like 16 dudleys but we'll save it for <laughs> civil war time and do something like that but yeah, 16 is uh, a lot for any... A little uh, clinky-clink for a, yeah. a Dudley? Which Dudley? My brothers. Larry, Daryl, Devon, Bubba, dances with Chubby, Sign Guy, Glasses, Big Dick, Spike. Am I missing a Dudley? Probably I think I made up one along the way, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be a uh, classy Dudley then today, I guess, mm. for making such a classy drink in honor of this... At this point, I'm just pro show. <laughs> well, right around the same time as this show, a couple movies would be released to the theater: The Frighteners and Train Spotting. Is The Frighteners the like second most famous non Back to the Future movie that Michael J. Fox was in? Because it feels like his career is ba- just Back to the Future and um, uh, Secret of My Success, Spin City. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Spin City. And then, of course, Family Ties. Um, because I just think Family Ties yeah, and Back to the Future. I never really watched Family Ties. It's a great show. Um, but, yeah, Frighteners. I was working at Blockbuster when this one came out. It was a hit on video. It's definitely where it found its audience. Yes. It was on video. Yeah. It didn't have a big following at the theaters. You know, the people who did see it started spreading the word about it. And then once it hit on video, then it became one of those cult classics of, holy shit, Michael J. Fox is back. Is this the first Peter Jackson that, like, dials back the crazy and disgusting? I'm trying to remember, honestly, because it's been way too long since I've seen it. So I can't remember I know it's not a lot as gnarly as his early films. Yeah, it's, I've seen it's those scary, so but it, it has heart and... It's well, not... It's, it's more of a comedy horror than, yeah, than anything it's else. It's not, a, but it's, yeah, it's not a gore fest. No. Because uh, I have not seen The Frighteners, but I do love those first three trashy... Peter Jackson movies. Big fan of Meet the Feebles over here. But that is a movie that you would probably like. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. It's like what if the Muppets did cocaine and had sex with each other? Sounds like a sounds like a good movie for me. I mean, I didn't like Heavenly Creatures, which was the movie he did right before. Oh, I haven't seen Heavenly Creatures. That no. other one though. Is that the one with Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky? Yeah. You know what yeah. uh, what also stinks is uh, Lovely Bones. Lovely Bones could have been a whole lot better. They He probably just wasn't the right guy for it. It just yeah, it had a too much of a what dreams may come vibe. I think from they went it too and, far away from the book. Yeah, see I've never read the book, but 
I mean, when you've got you put Stanley Tucci in anything, and you know he's going to be a standout, which I mean, in Lovely Bones he was. He got an Oscar nomination for it. But... Yeah, for a movie that nobody likes. <laughs> yeah, but you know, yeah, I'd love to see what Peter Jackson does after he's done with making like restoring footage and making documentaries like the Beatles one and then the World War I one I don't know if one. he's ever going to do anything I know he's like because he made he's got this process that he worked on really hard and I'm just waiting for him to do that with his first three movies for I mean, a box set, which he's, he's supposedly he's, doing supposedly he's doing a Tintin uh another sequel. Tintin okay I loved Tintin and Tintin, really? was, Tintin was really good yeah. I like that I hadn't heard that I like that movie a lot. And I know some people were like, oh, it's got an Uncanny Valley thing. I'm like, yeah, but it's just it's so damn fun. <laughs> and then there is uh, Old Train Spotting. <sighs> what a good movie. Classic. Yeah. I've been recently watching all of the Danny Boyle movies, and I will say that I've gotten up to Slumdog Millionaire, and Train Spotting is still his best movie outside of Sunshine. I mean, I loved Slumdog, but yeah, Train Spotting, there was just. I mean, dude came out of the. Slumdog Millionaire is a crazy movie. I just watched it for the first time a few days. Came out of the gate swinging. Slumdog. It's insane. I I loved Slumdog. I I can't say that I liked it, but I was enamored with it and wasn't bored. I was just like, what the fuck is this? It's it's a, you know, an Indian Forrest Gump type story. It is that, but I feel like it's almost. But then it ends with a happy dance. I mean, <laughs> you know what? I think that... Jai Ho, man. I was so upset with the dance. The dance was trash. They only have two moves in the dance. <laughs> and I'm down for a Bollywood dance scene. Uh, but that one, it's they like... They only had we two got words to the song. Yeah. Yeah. They got, you know, two moves and two pretty people. And then I'm like, I'm like, all right, well, uh, you know, we're not going to actually hire a choreographer. Yeah. Trainspotting introduced the world to uh, Ewan, McGregor, Ewan McGregor. I mean, I mean, uh, he may have been around before then, but that was the one where he it was, was like, "Oh, hey, yeah, hi, this is Ewan." That's Danny Boyle's second movie, and uh, he's in his first one, "Shallow Grave." And it's funny in "Shallow Grave," he's got you know this long, beautiful hair, and in, in uh, "Train Spotting," he's, he's like twenty pounds. He weighs like <laughs> yeah, he's like twenty pounds less, and uh, you know, bald, but still looks equally as there's, incredible. There's certain movies that stand out in your memory, or at least my memory for weird reasons and it always ends up or it always comes from me waking up on the couch to the movie playing on tv at this exact point and then it just stays burning yeah, my brain forever you've got magnolia with the raining frogs i woke up to that scene many many times because that's when <laughs> everything got really fun. loud and woke me up and yeah. i've seen that scene so many times because it's always one of the videos on the movie trivia game the <laughs> scene that, that was what it's called the only pta movie i haven't watched and then, uh, which is old, actually could probably considered one of his best ones. I know, old Ewan McGregor climbing down Dude, a toilet drain. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> how the movie starts, essentially. And another funny thing, Slumdog Millionaire also starts with a kid covered in shit, mm-hmm. which I was by, by jaw was agape. I was like, <laughs> holy shit, this is how we're starting. Train Spotting <clears throat> does, uh, yeah, a really great job of like. Not being too serious and also like not being pro heroin, which is like you know, kind of hard to do. To, like you know, it does. It's not as it's not as hard of a watch outside of the dead baby scene as um, the Aronofsky movie Requiem for a Dream, ah. which is like Requiem for a Dream is like 
you never want to watch it again. Oh, <laughs> and then like trains, train spotting constantly. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, just <laughs> it's such a it's, it's a, a heartbreaking, sad, kill your soul movie. But the performances in that, it just they pull me back every time. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. great. But train spotting is a rewatchable movie, <laughs> a more rewatchable movie. <laughs> So, considering you've been watching Danny Boyle movies, uh-huh. top three, I guess, maybe probably Train Spotting and Sunshine and what am I missing here? What was what's after the beach? Sunshine, uh, Life Less Ordinary, uh, Beach, Twenty Eight Days Later, Millions, Sunshine, Some Dog, okay. One Hundred Twenty Seven Hours. Okay, yeah, I haven't. Uh, Frankenstein, uh, Trance, T Two. I'm gonna have to go uh, as. Three would be either, like, maybe tie between 28... I guess I'll do 28 Days Later. It's better than Shallow Grave. And Life Less Ordinary is uh, bad. Yes. And uh, yes, the, the beach is bad, but in a fun way. But, yeah, 28 Days Later, I had never seen because I was into zombie movies as a teenager. It's and not a zombie movie. I know, but it is. And I was like, I was like... <laughs> it isn't, yeah, but, but it, it is. is. Yeah, but uh, it was like, I was like... They're fast. Fuck this. But, you know, I'm older and uh, more mature at this point. And I was like, no, this is, this is yeah, it's a, a great, great movie. And it mm. looks incredibly bad, but it works for it. Cause, I mean, my, mine would definitely be Slumdog 28 Days Later. And then you have to go Train Spotting. I if, mean, it's got if, 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 if you've seen Train Spotting, you have to put Train Spotting as top yeah. three. I liked 127 Hours. And I liked yesterday. I have, yeah, I haven't yet to see those. But I can totally understand if someone dislikes yesterday. Yeah. On paper, I remember being like, I didn't realize it was Danny Boyle. I wasn't. I was super familiar with Train Spotting, but I didn't really know a lot about Danny Boyle. And you know what's a really cute movie uh, that I think works pretty well is Millions, which is like his family movie. It is a fun family movie. Yes. It's definitely worth a watch. It also doesn't feel like it feels like a family movie, but for the adults and not for the kids. Because yeah. it's, but it is uh, entertaining and I totally charming. forgot about Shallow Grave. Shallow Grave's good. I can't say that I've ever seen Shallow Grave. I watched it. It's kind at of blockbuster got, because the yeah. cover box kept calling out to me, and I was like, "All right, I'll check it out." And yeah, I totally forgot. All it's about very, um, you know, it's a, it's kind of like millions. It's like uh, what happens when you find a bag of money. Um, but it's done well, and of course, it's like the first Ewan McGregor movie. Christopher Eccleston's in it, and he does a really good job. But it's a small movie that has a lot of energy. Slumdog I loved. Trainspotting I loved. Yeah, I'll have to go with Shallow Grave, because... Have, have you guys seen Sunshine? Sunshine. I, I, have seen, seen, I have seen Sunshine. The, ending, third, the third act is a problem for me too. Third act is the third act very, takes it from a five star movie to a four star movie. Exactly, which I've is never a bummer. Watched the beach, but I never wanted to watch the beach. It's not worth your time unless <laughs> unless you like unless you're a Leo DiCaprio uh, completionist. There's some really wild shit yeah. in it. It's not boring. But if you're watching, if you're doing that, then you also have to watch um, what was that? The one he won the Oscar for the, that nobody saw. People, cra- the crazy how uh, asylum. One on the island. Oh, oh, Shutter Island. Shutter Island. Yeah, thank you. Then, but then you have to watch that one, and that one's even worse than the beach. You never saw Shutter Island. I just like that movie. I yeah, it's it's a that's Scorsese, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But enough about those two great movies. I mean, which, yeah, if we, you have not seen them, go watch them. They're definitely two different 
styles of movie completely. But they're not boring. They are not boring no. at all. Not they're not hard watches. No, Sometimes you're like, not. hey, this movie's great. It's like, yeah, Bridge Over Over Kwai. Great movie, but you're gonna have to carve out a little bit of time. And yeah, Bridge Over Kwai. But I'm just saying, it's not it, like Train Spotting is it. kinetic. It's yeah. like 90 minutes, and it feels like 30. Yeah, because it just goes. They're, they're not like the movies of today where it's everything two, two and a half hours, two long. hours and 45 minutes. Yeah, let's not break into a Bridge Over River Kwai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, have I wasn't shit talking. <laughs> wasn't shit talking. Yet. But we get title with date and location roll onto the screen, and we go straight to our first match. The Samoan Gangsta Party of Mac Daddy Kane and Sammy Silk versus the Gangstas of Mustafa Saeed and New Jack. And my first thought is, Samoan SWAT team, Gangstas, well, at least it's the first match. Yes. At least we're not doing this at the end of the show. And we cut to Joey saying this was part one of the gangsters' grand plan for revenge against the tag division, as they want to pick them all off. And the gangsters run down to the ring with trash can in hand, tossing it in, and we go straight to brawling. And Jack uses a cookie sheet and tries to toss one of the Samoans over the ring post, but he never quite makes it over the top rope. I mean, they're big boys. New Jack with a trash can, while Mustafa uses a Stratomatic football game over the head of the other Samoan. What's the Stratomatic? It was like a, it was like a board that it had batteries and it was magnets. Uh, so like you turned it on and it just started like shaking, shaking and yeah. the football players like moved. It was like the old Bud Light <laughs> commercials or whatever. Yeah. The gangsters continue to use plunder such as pan lids, cookie sheets, chairs, and blocks of wood. Saeed and Kane roll out to the floor for Mac Daddy to be run headfirst into a ring post. Posted. While Jack uses a crutch over Sammy, followed by raking the face with a broken piece of the crutch. Back in the ring, Mustafa hits a big boot to Kane before the gangsters start using more plunder, headbutts, and fists. And the ref calls for the bell as New Jack has chased Sammy out into the crowd where he is busted open. So I'm... Guessing no contest on this one. First time for everything. Typical tag team rules. And more refs come <laughs> out to try and stop the gangsters, but they just keep going with us even cutting to Joey to have us stop watching the beatdown. But he tells us that New Jack has grabbed a microphone. I mean, that's all, we, that's all anybody wants out of New Jack, right? Just a promo at this point, me personally. And Jack says he wants the Bruise Brothers, the Eliminators, and anyone from the WWF to be in a four-way with the gangsters, and let's see who wins. So, is that teasing that somebody that was recently fired is going to come make 50 bucks at the bingo hall? No. Okay, just checking. But there is a four-way on the next ECW show. I believe it. (laughs) We go to our second match. The Giant, Paul Loria, with Damian Kane and Lady Alexandria, versus Mikey Whipwreck. And the last time we saw Laria was at Return of the Funker, episode 145. I knew it had been a little while. However, yeah, that's an early... Yeah, an early I kept looking at him like, I yep. swear I've heard this name before. You absolutely yeah. have. Yep. Him and Mikey duked it out back then. They were tag team partners as the Young Dragons on one, on one, one, show. one show. And then all Laria joined Jason, yep. the sexiest man in and the world. And then was gone for yeah. 70 episodes. And Joey says that Damien was mad that he couldn't beat Mikey himself, so he brought the giant back 
because, you know, Laria had such good luck against Mikey back in the day. No, he didn't. No. So Laria attacks as Whipwreck rolls in, only for Mikey to duck and deliver a clothesline of his own. Mikey, Whipwreck nails a dropkick that sends the giant out to the floor, when Mikey follows out with a slingshot plancha. Laria is tossed into a guardrail, but he retaliates by hot-shotting Whipwreck across the steel as well. And a thing about Paul Laria, he's built, he's the giant Paul Laria, but they build him at 5'4". Yeah. It's a little bit of visual aid for everybody else out there. <laughs> like, he's a smaller version of Nunzio, or little Guido at this point. Yes. Yeah. They roll back in where the giant body slams Mikey before heading up top. But Whipwreck makes it to his feet to super kick the top turnbuckle, causing Luria to crotch himself. Mikey would then climb up to hit a super Franken Mikey for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Post match, the Eliminators run in and destroy everyone, including delivering total elimination to the Giant. I mean, it's, it's a nasty one, too. Like, he either took it or is the. Best seller on the fucking EC, on, in ECW. <laughs> we'll see you in another hundred episodes there. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we will never see yeah. him again. Aww. He's Well, dang. I think he did, considering like he was a champ and did a great job in this small amount of time, and I feel like he could have been used more. For real. But he is 5'4". Total elimination. And he doesn't have the charisma that Mikey Whipwreck has. Saturn takes the mic and says they accept the challenge from the gangsters before telling Whipwreck to go find Sabu and to take us on. I dare ya. But Mikey doesn't have to look too hard as Sabu has made his way out. Sabu uh, has like the hearing of a dog for his name. (laughs) Also during all this, Perry keeps messing up by saying his belts, then correcting himself to say our Our belts. Foreshadowing? I smell some dissension. I really don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't notice this. Yeah. And see, I wouldn't for sure if that led to uh, If it was an actual mistake or if it was... Uh, it's, it's, it's Saturn. Who knows? Maybe we'll find out. Mm-hmm. But we go to our third match. The Eliminators of Perry Saturn and John Cronus versus Mikey Whipwreck and Sabu for the ECW World Tag Team Championships. And Mikey... Technically made his way to the back, so the Eliminators were in the ring first. Hmm. Foreshadowing? <laughs> Who knows? Back to back. Matt with the keenest eye. The Homicida One and Whipwreck charge the ring and begin to attack the Eliminators, tossing them out to the floor. And the match gets going with Sabu and Perry in the ring, trading strikes until the Homicida One takes Saturn down. So they go into mat wrestling with counters and reversals. And he says that they want to wrestle for the belts right now. Traditional tag rules. They said traditional tag rules, so, you know, let's keep an eye out for that. Sabu hits a pair of forearm strikes before nailing a springboard moonsault press for a two count. But this just seems to piss Perry off as he gets up and super kicks the homicidal one. Sabu with a shot to the gut and tries for an Arabian press. But Saturn moves and nails another super kick, followed by a flying splash for a near fall. It's right to the neck, so you know. That's where Sabu is the weakest. Cronus comes in for double super kicks to Sabu, followed by a handspring back elbow. 
but he turns his back, allowing the homicidal one to straddle John across the ropes, when Mikey would jump in with a guillotine leg drop for a two count. I mean, that's a, some tag team chemistry there. See the opportunity and take it. Whipwreck does some arm drags to both eliminators, including a double Japanese arm drag to them, before Sabu leaps in with a crossbody across both eliminators as well for a near fall. Doing a double arm drag on the eliminators at the size of Sabu is funny. I, uh, I got a bit of a kick out of it. This is Mikey doing the double arm Oh, drag. well, it's even more funny yes. then. Mikey's working over the arm of Cronus, but John tosses Whipwreck to the ropes only to telegraph a back body drop, allowing Mikey and the Homicidal One to team up for a leap off Whipwreck's back into a bulldog of John by Sabu. Saturn runs in with a blind tag as the ref is getting the Homicidal One out of the ring, attacking Mikey from behind before hitting a brain buster, a hook kick, and a vicious clothesline it's, for a uh, two count. Yeah, I mean, Mikey bumping for the Eliminators is the kind of shit... We see. all want. Yeah. Miss you, Sam Houston. I wish I'd, you know, I'd like to say he got paid extra for that, but... We know he didn't. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. He's, he's the kind of guy, though, who's like, yeah, just hit me. The Eliminators team up for a combo vertical suplex crossbody for a two count, which Sabu breaks up, so Cronus clubs the homicidal one to knock him down to the floor. If Mikey Whipwreck was, like, 40 pounds larger and a bit taller, would he be our Tommy Dreamer? Because he is more compelling than Tommy Dreamer, and people love him. But if he still had the same skill set, granted, probably wouldn't be able to bump as Ragdoll, but or would he maybe it's just be? my bias of loving Mikey Whipwreck. <laughs> I always want more for the man. Mikey's been world champion. Tommy Dreamer hasn't. Yeah, Tommy Dreamer's been on the... It's the, <laughs> a long storyline. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Tommy's getting laid and, you know, getting left by lesbians or getting two lesbians or whatever the hell it is. But yeah. Fake, still preg- never been fake, champ. fake pregnancies. There's children involved now. Taking a lot of frying pans to the head for nothing. John nails a pump handle suplex and then goes after Whipwreck's arm. But Sabu makes it back to break up the submission hold. Saturn now works the arm of Mikey with a single arm DDT into a hammerlock Mikey, before Mikey. hitting a German suplex. Perry continues with a drop kick to the homicidal one to again knock him off the apron before going for a cover that only gets a two count. Saturn sets Whipwreck atop the turnbuckle and climbs up for a superplex, but is blocked and Perry is shoved off to the mat. Mikey then leaps off with a hurricanrana, but it gets fucked up as Saturn doesn't catch him. But they sell it like it was hit anyways, allowing Whipwreck to make the crawl to the corner for the hot tag. Sabu jumps in and goes chair crazy on both Eliminators. In front of the ref. Before setting the chair up for a triple jump moonsault onto the Eliminators. But he slips on the ropes and falls to the mat. Mikey then jumps in with a clothesline to Cronus. Before taking him out of the ring with one as well. Followed by leaping over the ropes with a hurricanrana onto the concrete. Yeesh. The homicidal one has made his way to the top rope where he comes off only for Perry to nail him with a super kick on his way down for a near fall. Super kick party in this match. Whipwreck still beating on John on the outside when Sabu meets Saturn on the turnbuckle to hit a springboard super rana for a two count. Perry then catches the homicidal one with a boot and delivers a doctor bomb for a near fall. 
He tries for a springboard, only for Sabu to drop kicking down to the apron, before leaping over him to sunset flip powerbomb Saturn down to the concrete. Yeah, I mean, uh, yuck. <laughs> I bet he could feel his fucking heart rattle in his ribcage. The homicidal one then starts clearing off the timekeeper's table before returning to the ring to set up a chair, all while Mikey continues to beat on Cronus in a corner. Sabu then leaps off the chair onto the ropes, but Perry shakes those ropes at the right moment, causing the homicidal one to fall off through the table. Whipwreck then atomic drops and clotheslines John when Saturn returns to the ring to clothesline Mikey from behind. The Eliminators would then deliver total elimination to Whipwreck for the pin and the win. Pretty good little match with mostly traditional tag rules. The only real thing was the chair shot in front of the ref. Outside of that, it was just, I love when the rules are followed and in ECW, I don't expect it, but I appreciate it. So that's nice. Absolutely. It's a very fun tag match. Better than most tag matches that we get in ECW. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about the walk and brawl plunder matches yep. to death, but, you know, we've had enough of them, and I'm sure we'll get another one. I'm sure we will. We go to the FBI who in the ring, and they welcome everyone to the first Italian karaoke bistro. And Guido says something in Italian. So JT says he's bilingual, with little Guido getting very offended because he thinks it's a different kind of bi. Yep. A, a perfect joke for the ECW crowd. Yep. yep. <laughs> they argue for a few moments before Guido says they should bring out his little brother to help even the odds. And big Guido makes his way to the ring, and Smith is surprised at the size of him before calling out the Dudleys. Now, Big Guido is literally, like, the size of Big Dick, basically. Yeah. yeah. It's. Uh, when he first started walking out, I was like, wait, who is this? Is this somebody that we've seen before? Yeah, this dude is fucking huge. Yeah. And very Italian looking. He does nothing else of note. Yeah. He's like... Because I could not find it. An Italian yeah. great Kali, basically. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's who I honestly thought it was when he first started walking out. I thought maybe they, you know, had gotten a hold of him way 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 back when but no. yeah it's like maybe this is his first four wet foray into the <laughs> he's square got that same i can't wrestle walk <laughs> i mean after if you're seven feet and can move there's an incredible amount of money you can make in <laughs> wrestling especially uh in this particular time period so we get our fourth match the fbi of jt smith and little guido with big guido and sal balamo Versus the Dudleys of Bubba Ray and Big Dick Dudley with Chubby, Sign Guy, and Dances with Dudley. Or at least that's what I think the match was. Because, yeah. we'll, as we see at the end, maybe it was an eight-man match. Who knows? Armstrong. Maybe it wasn't even a yeah. match at all. But, you know, where, where's Devon? There's no Devon because Devon is never around when Big Dick is around. And Joey says, is it a coincidence? Or cowardice. Mm. All of a sudden, a voice rings out saying, This shit is bullshit. And it's Devon up in the eagle's nest. And he asks Big Dick why he's out here, because this is his family. Before telling him if he's so bad, 
come kick my ass right now. So Big Dick leaves the ring to meet Devon, leaving Bubba Ray alone to be outnumbered by the FBI. Big Guido power bombs dances with when Devon makes it to the ring, using a chair on the FBI to say Bubba. And we see Big Dick has made his way. So, like, Big Dick went towards the eagle's nest. Yeah. And Devon went the opposite direction to make it to the ring. And now we see Big Dick coming back towards the ring. So, Devon heads down the aisle. And. They're like, they're like uh, opposite magnets. <laughs> <laughs> Bubba Ray catapults little Guido's throat across the bottom rope, followed by a double sidewalk slam on the FBI. Big Guido then attacks Bubba, but telegraphs a back body drop. So Bubba Ray tries for a powerbomb, only for little Guido to make the save as Big Dick continues to look for Devon. Smith with a clothesline to Bubba, allowing Big Guido to nail a powerbomb on Bubba Ray. So the FBI celebrates, but Big Dick has finally made his way back to the ring to double clothesline them. Sal then comes in with multiple chair shots to Big Dick, who no-sells them. So Balamo retreats, only to receive a chair shot from Dick. Big Guido then attacks with right hands, but Big Dick fights back, lifting up Big Guido for a slam, only for the FBI to pile on to lay out Dick for a two-count. Now all of the Dudleys are back in the ring as well, with Devon hitting a chair shot on JT. And Bubba Ray then shoves Devon, because he's had enough of it followed by dances with Sign Guy and Chubby, all receiving chair shots because they try to calm the situation. Just leaving Big Dick to continually be beaten down by the FBI. I like the fuck you Devon headband. A nice touch. Bubba steals the chair away and looks to hit Devon, only for him to beg off, causing Bubba Ray to momentarily pause, which allows Devon to hit his b b Balls, and we also are these. Even the fans, all fifteen hundred of them, start a boring chant. They're not even into this. Devon then grabs the chair and uses it over the head of Bubba Ray. Don E. Allen then comes out to stop Devon. Thought that's who that was, and he receives a chair shot. All while the FBI is still beating on Big Dick. Hmm. Hack Myers then comes running down, and he sidesteps a chair shot, grabs the chair away, and hits Devon with it. But then Big Guido powerbombs Hack, because why not? <laughs> He's got to do something. Devon's back up with chair in hand, and he squares off with Big Dick, who has fought his way free from the rest of the FBI. And Dick steals the chair away after they trade knees, turns and nails Big Guido with the chair, before making the cover for the pin and, and the win. win. Post-match, Bubba Ray hits a vertical suplex to JT. Big Dick with a double clothesline to Little Guido and Sal, followed by press slamming Little Guido over to the floor. Devon just bounces. And yes, Devon just bounces. And, so, uh, you know. So we still have no... Clarification. Yes. Um, this Dudley mess. This, uh, yeah. My assumption is that if uh, people are actually interested in it, they will put those two men in a cage at some point. But who knows? Who knows? 
We go to our fifth match. Axel Rotten versus Tarzan Goto. Tarzan Goto. Yeah. He's usually an all-Japan guy, but he came over for a couple shows this weekend. And this is one of those matches. Yeah, he got lucky enough to work with Axel Rotten. That's right. But to Axel Rotten's credit, maybe it's just me. Maybe I haven't seen him in a while, but he looks to be in a little bit better shape than normal. He's probably lost a few pounds. Yeah. So the match gets going, and Tarzan hits a pair of leg sweeps and a back body drop. But Axel fires back with a spinning heel kick and left hands before trying for a crossbody, only for Goto to move, sending Rotten into the ropes. Tarzan tosses Axel to the floor where a chair duel occurs, with no one gaining an advantage. Love a chair duel. Followed by Goto sending Rotten into the timekeeper's table. They then brawl into the crowd with head slams onto the bleachers, and Axel being thrown off the bleachers to the back where the camera can't see them. Yeah, it stinks whenever they get off camera, because I bet it was fun or exciting. But, you know, we're working here with... uh... You know, we don't have quite the production of uh, major cable network wrestling shows. They fight their way back to the ring, where Tarzan nails a few chair shots across the back and the mat that end <laughs> up breaking the chair. Yeah. Goto with a headbutt and a clothesline for a two count before grabbing another chair, only for Rotten to clothesline him and use the chair himself several times. And I also believe Joey says that Goto uh, has... Uh, worked in FMW, which makes sense. It's like, oh, well, yeah. he's the guy for Axel Rotten. Axel with a body slam, an elbow drop, and a clothesline for a near fall before delivering a DDT for a two count. Rotten sets up the chair to hit another DDT onto it, but he's shoved off right onto said chair before Tarzan grabs it to nail some more chair shots across the back. Goto then sets up the chair and hits a brain buster onto it. For the pin. And, and the, the win. Axel Rod taking the pin, guys. I mean... I was kind of surprised by that one, actually. It was nice of him. I mean, you have a... Like, if anybody knows, is familiar with Tarzan Goto at this point in 96, it is these Philly smart fans that are doing tape trading and stuff. Because you're not seeing Tarzan Goto on... Cable in the United States, uh, you would have to be a serious wrestling fan, and uh, whether or not you think ECW is serious, <laughs> their fans are serious wrestling fans. We get Joey Styles in the ring, and he brings out Taz, Bill Alfonso, and Team Taz. And don't we all just get excited immediately? Saying they can't find any more shoot fighters for him to choke out. Especially after, uh, you know... The way they treated the last one. The human suplex machine begins to talk, but the crowd starts chanting, Fuck you, Taz. So he responds that he loves them, too. (laughs) He continues by saying he choked out WWF's Bam Bam Bigelow, WCW's Devin Storm, and that big dick, Paul Varlins, from the UFC. And denied him a BJ. Taz then says that there is a need for some changes around here. So we're going to take over this company because it's ran like shit. Fonzie then takes the mic to say that his first order of business is firing Joey for saying too many bad things about them. And Styles responds that 
He can't fire him. You don't have the authority. When Taz just steps up to him to tell him to shut his mouth. And Joey quickly backs away, saying he's fired. I mean, Joey's <laughs> so good at this yeah. kind of stuff. Like, it's a little, like, maybe... It, he doesn't. He never goes too over the top, mm-hmm. but it's, like, just enough for it to, like, register. Yeah. You don't have the authority. Okay, I'm fired. Uh, uh, yeah, well, all right, sure. Yeah, <laughs> fire me. Okay. Alfonso then introduces his personal commentator, Joel Gertner, who comes out and Styles is forced to shake hands with his replacement. Taz then starts talking about the Sandman, who's crying over his beer because his son turned on him. Chastises Tommy Dreamer for chasing your two slut lesbian rats around. (laughs) When Joey would come over to ask if this charade is over, causing the human suplex machine to start choking Styles. When all of a sudden, music would hit, and it's 911! Fuck you, Ben. We haven't seen him since House Party 96, episode 182. Okay, well, it was still 96, I guess, but damn, it feels like it's been a whole long time since we've seen 911. I mean, and Taz is the most strongly booked person in ECW since 911, I think. You could probably argue, but I just don't know that you could argue. Gertner gets a choke slam. 911 then grabs Fonzie, but Taz chop blocks him. 911 then choke slams the human suplex machine. Oh my god. But it's no sold. And Taz head drop German suplexes him before locking on the Taz mission with Joey back safely in the Eagle's Nest at this point, asking if anyone can stop the path of rage. How incredibly intelligent is it to take one of the most over guys that's been gone for a while and then have the biggest heel in the company choke him out on his surprise return it's this is this is or one night deal yeah it's a one night deal yeah. but it's like but but it's so like it's like oh yeah i know that he, him and paul had issues or whatever but paul was like understood that it was worth it to give this guy a couple hundred dollars to come in here and do this mm-hmm. to continue the taz business this is uh, and the fans just needed some closure too because they didn't really get true. a nine one one send off. No, that's true. Mm-hmm. It was you know he's the big thing. He's the big thing. He's not he here anymore. And yeah, and it's also it's like oh well, they could legitimately think that he is returning. Like that would, that's a huge pop, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And then seeing Taz pick up somebody that we know the size and strength of and. Drop him on his yeah, goddamn head. Pretty much drop him on his head, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then yeah, and it choke was him out. a whole lot more effective than seeing him and his team slap around old Paul What's-His-Nuts. I would argue that in front of this crowd, it's even more impressive than, uh, like, him and Bam Bam. Like, as far as, like, impact yep. for this particular crowd. Yep. We then go to our sixth match. Chris Jericho versus Two Cold Scorpio. Versus the franchise Shane Douglas. Versus Pitbull number two with Francine. In a four corners elimination match for the ECW World Television Championship. And normally I'm like, a four way, but pretty excited for this as we have these four guys here. Pitbull, who is basically 
kind of the biggest baby face right now. And then, you know, yeah, see, Shane Douglas, who I love more and more every time. I didn't hear them saying anything about it being a four corners match when it started, so I was really confused at first because, you know, I thought it was like, just Jericho and, and Scorpio because we know Scorpio loves this belt. Uh, and then Shane coming down to, you know, sit by the ring. I thought, all right, well, he's just coming down to be the antagonist or whatever and, you know, piss people off. And then all of a sudden it became a, a four-way match, and it's like, wait, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so the rules of this match are that two men are in the ring at one time, while the other two are on the apron waiting for tags. So you can tag anybody in, and they're then the legal men. And the franchise jumps Pitbull with a chair as he's making his way out to the ring, as Lionheart and Scorpio started off in the ring, with lots of near misses until Jericho hits a spinning heel kick to send Too Cold out to the floor. Back in the ring, Lionheart and Scorpio trade arm wrenches until Jericho is shoved off, allowing Too Cold to nail a drop kick, a body slam, and a somersault leg drop for a two count. Lionheart then floats over into a tiger bomb for a near fall, followed by dropping Scorpio into a modified octopus hold only for Too Cold to escape and lock on a camel clutch. Now Pitbull 2 has finally made it up to the apron, and he's busted open, as Jericho and Scorpio continue to trade chops before Too Cold delivers a spinning heel kick. Scorpio then tags in Shane, who goes for a vertical suplex, only for Lionheart to block and reverse into one of his own for a two count. Jericho then rolls up Douglas with a bridge for a near fall, followed by a slingshot knee drop, a turnbuckle smashes, more chops, another spinning heel kick, and a lion salt for a two count. It's a big big move match, brother. Mm -hmm. Jericho then tags in Pitbull, which sends the franchise running to tag in Too Cold, which brings a bullshit chant from the crowd. Another chant that I loved uh, a little bit earlier than this was, uh, where's your skateboard uh, at <laughs> Shane Douglas, which was... Nice. It's like, oh, I, even I forgot about that. Nice little throwback. <laughs> Scorpio reverses a press slam into a sunset flip for a near fall. But Pitbull 2 comes right back with a press power slam. Pitbull then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Too Cold to go for a victory roll. But Pitbull 2 stops him and power bombs Scorpio down to the mat for a two count. Too Cold then hits some headbutts to the gut and some right hands to stun Pitbull, before Scorpio body scissors him over the ropes to the floor, where his legs hit the guardrail. Too Cold then leaps off the apron with a drop kick, before grabbing a chair to faceplant Pitbull 2 into. Back in the ring, Scorpio keeps up the attack with knees, before tagging in Shane to continue the punishment, with a back suplex for a near fall. Now Pitbull is making it back to his feet, so... Douglas runs away again and tags in Lionheart, who delivers a drop kick. But Pitbull 2 responds with a back elbow to slow the momentum, followed by Jericho trying to leapfrog on a running Pitbull, only for him to be caught and dropped with a spine buster for a two count. The two then fight over a waist lock, with Lionheart breaking free to deliver an enziguri and a German suplex for an air fall. Following up with a Hurricanrana attempt, only to be powerbombed by Pitbull 2. I love you, Pitbull 2. <laughs> Too Cold is then tagged in by Pitbull, who body slams Lionheart before heading up top, 
only for Jericho to knock his feet out, causing Scorpio to crotch himself. Lionheart then climbs up himself to hit a super Huracarana, but both men are down, so the franchise comes over to tag himself in to get a near fall. Two Colts back to his feet and ducks a clothesline and comes back with a spinning heel kick, followed by rabbit punches that takes the two of them out to the floor to continue to brawl, where Shane is thrown into a guardrail and face-planted onto a chair. Now back in the ring with that chair, Scorpio bulldogs Douglas onto it for a two-count. He tags in Pitbull 2, which again sends the franchise running away to make a tag, which brings Jericho back in. Now Pitbull keeps stalking after Shane, allowing Lionheart to cradle him up for a near fall, followed by going for a body slam, but his knee gives out, causing Pitbull 2 to land on top for a two-count. Why is the floor so dirty? I've never seen anybody, like, slammed on the floor and then get up just covered in dirt. And, like, Shane Douglas is slamming. And it's like, somebody His just, like... His entire back's, uh, like, black. Yeah, it's like, what, um, yeah. Because they got rid of that little gray space between yeah. the front row and the ring. I guess so. But it was just funny. I was like, did everybody... I guess everybody here just got out of their construction job and didn't change their boots. <laughs> I just... Yeah, I was like, well, I mean, you had the, the Dudley debacle happening earlier so i'm sure all kinds of shit was thrown on the floor at that time too yeah it's a good point it might just Sabu. be you might just got the uh, that concrete floor a little wet <laughs> pitbull with turnbuckle smashes and tosses jericho to the corner where he leaps up and over absolutely no one so he lands on his face pitbull 2 then power bombs lionheart for a near fall before tagging too cold in to deliver a super kick and a butterfly suplex now Jericho rolls out to the floor to avoid being pinned, so Scorpio comes off the apron with a single sledge before ramming Lionheart into the guardrail and then rolls him back into the ring. And Jericho makes it to his feet and catches Too Cold coming in with a DDT. He goes to tag in Douglas, but the franchise just won't do it. <laughs> so Lionheart tags in Pitbull instead. And Scorpio's taken to the turnbuckles for a super fallaway slam. He makes the cover, but Shane reaches in to tag Too Cold to break up the pin. Now Pitbull 2 and Douglas fight over a hip toss, which ends up with the franchise being sent over to the floor. But he drags Pitbull out as well to brawl, followed by Jericho flying out with a springboard plancha onto them both. Scorpio then leaps off the top rope with a crossbody onto all of them as well, before Too Cold sends Lionheart into a guardrail, charges in, only to be back body dropped into the crowd. And they start brawling through the seats and to the back of the building as Shane drops Pitbull 2, Chihuahua first, onto the guardrail back at ringside. That's his um, testicles. Jericho with a chair shot before bringing Scorpio back to ringside, where Douglas bulldogs Pitbull into a chair for a two count. And the franchise looks for a tag, but everybody's down at the moment, which allows Pitbull 2 to recover and deliver a beating to Shane with right hands and a press slam, followed by Lionheart flying in with a missile dropkick to Douglas as well Ooh. for multiple near falls as both men went for a cover. Jericho then rams the franchise into a turnbuckle, a second rope elbow to the top of the head, and a dropkick for a two count. He goes for a spinning toehold before transitioning it into a figure four, but Shane won't give up, so Lionheart ends up releasing the hold. The ref's keeping him honest. I do love that, yeah. Shane Douglas, he 
it was the the heel kick out. His, he got his leg on the rope. <laughs> he didn't actually kick out the the little weasel. The franchise is finally able to make a tag to Too Cold, but Jericho nails him immediately with a fisherman suplex for an airfall. He goes for the lion salt, only for Scorpio to drop kicking in midair, causing Lionheart to land right on his head. It's uh, beautiful, disgusting, and the beautiful. drop kick's great. The landing is not so. Great. The landing's not great, but like Too Cold, we've all seen him. He was in better shape and had the legs of a baby deer. Uh, and now he's a little sturdier, but uh, his shit looks a lot better. And this might have been his crowning achievement. But, you know, Chris Jericho landed on the crown of his head. Too Cold then drags Jericho back to his feet to deliver a power bomb, But he starts taunting Shane instead of making a cover, allowing Lauren Hart to drop kicking in the back of his head. Jericho then hits a tiger suplex on Scorpion that... Doesn't look very good as well. Much. Before tagging in Douglas, who comes in with a cheap shot to Lionheart, followed by a super kick from Too Cold to Jericho as well. The franchise then tags Lionheart back in before Scorpio tombstone pile drives him, followed by a tumbleweed off the top rope Ooh. for the pin. And Chris Jericho has been eliminated. At 27 minutes. Yeah, that's uh. Wow. <laughs> yeah and that's our first elimination i know it's like we i love pitbull too but you kind of assume that pitbull or scorpio is going to be the first guy eliminated yeah i mean granted chris jericho's new here but but he just but won. he's but he's chris he's chris jericho he's, he's chris jericho he's a better wrestler he, than too cold scorpio he just won the the tv title just a few weeks prior so yeah, I wasn't expecting him to be the first out. And these sure, fans no. are, a lot of the people here, of, of anybody in the country, these are the people that are familiar with his work in Japan. Yep. Shane comes in and offers a handshake, wanting an alliance with Too Cold. But it's refused, and Scorpio delivers a back body drop and a drop kick, followed by another drop kick to Pitbull as well. Scorpio then goes to an ab stretch on Douglas. But the franchise just falls to the mat to get a two count. Back on the feet, Too Cold has a whip reversed, allowing Shane to hit a belly-to-belly suplex on him. But he cannot capitalize. Douglas then heads to the top, only for Scorpio to meet him there to nail a sunset flip powerbomb for a near fall. I mean, how often does Shane Douglas go to the top? (laughs) He should know better. Clothesline to the franchise, followed by a thrust kick to Pitbull 2, who runs in. Too Cold then body slams Pitbull before body slamming Shane onto Pitbull too. Pretty sick. Scorpio heads up to the top and he comes off with a moonsault. But both men have moved. (sighs) Douglas then delivers a DDT to Too Cold. Followed by having a momentary alliance with Pitbull. Who hits the super bomb on Scorpio for the pin. And Too Cold Scorpio is eliminated. I mean, this is one of your biggest baby faces and, like, your consistent heel. The franchise immediately grabs Pitbull 2 and takes him to the floor to brawl, ramming his head into the ring post. Posted. Pitbull fights back to send Shane into a guardrail in the ring post before tossing a pair of chairs into the ring. Now, Pitbull 2 sets the chairs up in the middle, followed by powerbombing Douglas through them. Easy, Easy, W. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty tight. 
Pitbull then grabs a table and brings it into the ring, setting it up in the corner, but this allows the franchise to recover and deliver a belly-to-belly suplex. Now Francine climbs onto the apron to distract the ref, so Shane pulls her into the ring and gives her a kiss. But Pitbull 2 goes to attack from behind, but Douglas pulls Francine and himself out of danger, only for the ref to get knocked out. Ref bump! Pitbull goes for a press slam of the franchise when Francine would throw powder into his eyes. No! Allowing Shane to kick him low, followed by Francine slapping him. My God. She would then remove her skirt and reveal she has franchise written on her undergarments. LOL. Franchise. Yeah. Pitbull 1 then runs out to help his partner clear the powder and fire him up. So when Pitbull 2 makes it back to his feet, he starts going to town on Douglas with clotheslines that end up sending them both out to the floor. Now Pitbull 1 jumps in the ring and he grabs Francine. And the Pitbulls team up for a super bomb of her through the table. I mean, Pop City. It looks like he does a really good job of protecting her. I don't love anybody slamming a, uh, a woman through the table who's not a like trained worker. Yes. But they do a great he does a great job of protecting her, you can tell. Yeah, he does a great job protecting her. She sells it just as she should and yeah. she she earned her new her new special panties. Yeah, her new uh, heel uh, <laughs> heel dynamic. The franchise makes his way back in and he single arm DDTs the bad arm of Pitbull 1 before nailing Pitbull 2 with a title belt for a two count. Shane with a running piece of table to the head of Pitbull 2 for a near fall. And then he takes some brass nuts from his boots to connect with Pitbull 2 for the pin. And no! Pitbull 2 kicks out. So many FOs. Douglas then grabs a chain from his other boot, wraps it around his fist for another shot. He makes the cover for the pin, and no! Pitbull 2 kicks out again. And Pitbull 2 begins to... Pitbull <laughs> Sending the franchise into the corner, following in with a spin kick, but Shane avoids, sending Pitbull to tumbling out to the floor. Douglas drags him back in to hit a belly-to-belly suplex for the pin. And, and the win. win. And new! Such fun stuff. Shane Douglas is the best. Mm-hmm. Post-match, the franchise picks up Francine and carries her to the back. I gotta say, that match was a whole lot more than I was expecting it to be when it started. Because when when it started, I thought it was Chris Jericho versus Two Cold Scorpio. And all the character work was great. I mean, this is a big angle match, and I didn't see the angle coming Mm -mm. at all. And it was super effective. Yeah, it's I, Francine. I even had to rewind it because, like, did I totally miss something that happened here where <laughs> there was, like, a disagreement or, nope. you know, he accidentally threw something that hit her and pissed her off, but no. Shane Douglas has more, uh, you know. Somebody else threw something that hit her. And... <laughs> I do have a sad note, though. Oh. The DDT that Pitbull won took the single-arm DDT that yeah. franchise gave me. It would end up breaking a bone in his neck. Oh, shit. And the next time that we see him, he will be in a halo. Oh, shit. Uh, 
Yeesh. I feel like I've seen maybe so highlight is this the clips end of, of Pitbull One. Or... He does come back. Okay, he does come back. But he's he's like it's it's the kind of break that involves a halo. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. He's wearing it in the next show. Okay. But I don't know how connected it is. Yeah, it's not like you know. So like it's he's hurt, but I don't know if they actually needed the, the halo. halo. Yeah, it might be. A, it might be a because he com- he comes back in six months, guys. I'm just gonna t- like yeah. I don't think you come back from Halo accidents to wrestling in six months. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's so like I uh, yeah, unless you're Sabu, but in, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess you technically could because these guys just need the payday. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in middle school, I had a friend who got uh, hit by a car and it like shattered his leg. But I guess they were able to save it. And he had the thing with like the pins in his leg that he like had to wear to work. So I'm like, or wear to school. And it's like, oh, like I assume. Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how the neck thing really works, but I'm, I know he legitimately it's not that, it's not he that did kind legitimately of get hurt. Yes. How was it serious enough for the Halo, or did they over exaggerate it? That's a whole other thing. Either way, they should have over-exaggerated if he truly needed the Halo. I'd like to think that he stayed home for a little longer than that. So we're headed off to our seventh match. Louis Spicoli versus El Puerto Ricuano. And we haven't seen Spicoli since Survivor Series 95, episode 172, as Rad Radford. He was one of the body dogs. Okay. Okay. Nice to see you again, Lou. We cut to it right as Louis is saying he was expecting four or five guys before hitting Raquano with the microphone. Spicoli continues with chops, multiple short arm clotheslines, and a Spicoli driver, but he picks up Raquano instead. Louis then nails a chair shot for the pin and, and the win. Post match, Sabu's music hits, and he comes running down with Joey saying, this was supposed to be the original matchup before the homicidal one was injured in the tag match earlier. But it looks like we're going to get it for our eighth match. Louis Spicoli versus Sabu. And the homicidal one dives right at Louis' legs. He is also wearing a neck brace. But it's avoided, allowing Spicoli to start working over the neck of Sabu with snapmares, a neck snap, chokes, and neck breakers for a two count. Louis continues with a slingshot back suplex for a near fall, where he tries for a second one, only for the homicidal one to flip out and nail a spin kick, sending Spicoli bailing out to the floor. Sabu follows out to run Louis into a guardrail before running and leaping off the timekeeper's table with a crossbody to send them into the first row. The homicidal one then makes it back into the ring where he sets up a chair, grabs another chair, followed by hitting a triple jump plancha with the chair in hand, out onto Spicoli. Into the crowd, over the steel. Yeah, it's around this time that I actually had to look up who Spicoli was, because they had made some reference about... Madonna's boyfriend? Well, Madonna's boyfriend, and then I heard him say something about WWF, and I was like, who the fuck was he in WWF? Because he didn't recognize the look of him. A guy that I can't even picture, I can't even picture him in my head right now. I remembered the name, but yeah, I had to actually look him up to see what the hell he looked like. Louis tries to make his way back into the ring, but he's caught and laid out across the second rope with a chair underneath his head before Sabu comes off the top rope with a guillotine leg drop, only for Spicoli to have moved. The homicidal one escapes a tilt-a-whirl and leaps onto Louis' shoulders for a hurricanrana, 
followed by him going for another triple jump. But Louis grabs the chair once Sabu is airborne and smashes him with it on his way back. Pretty but, sick spot. It's a really great spot. That's a great spot. Both men grab chairs and we have another chair duel inside the ring. Chair fight. With the homicidal one getting the better of it, allowing him to hit Air Sabu in a corner, sending Spicoli out to the floor. The homicidal one then drop kicks Louis through the ropes before setting up a table that bridges the guardrail and apron. He sets Spicoli on it, followed by Sabu heading up top, where he comes off with a moonsault onto Louis and through the table. Nasty. They make it back into the ring somehow, with the homicidal one hitting a triple jump moonsault for a two count. Spicoli then ducks a clothesline and he delivers a bridging German suplex for a near fall. And Louis starts heading up top, only for Sabu to set up a chair to hit a triple jump super rana. But Spicoli holds onto the ropes, sending the homicidal one crashing down to the mat. That might be the most, like, a chair, or a table has shattered in, in uh, ECW. <laughs> like, it just, yeah, it just, like, crumbles like balsa wood. Louis then leaps off with a somersault senton for a two count. He then goes for a chair-aided knee drop, but Sabu avoids, and Spicoli is holding that leg. The homicidal one hits a chair shot and a drop kick to the bum knee, before going for an Arabian face buster. But Louis moves and climbs the turnbuckle, only for Sabu to throw a chair at Spicoli that dazes him. The homicidal one then leaps up for a springboard DDT off the top rope, followed by an Arabian face buster. For the pin, and the win. Way more than I was expecting for old Mr. Spicoli. I mean, he's a fucking <laughs> he's a fucking trooper. He yeah. really fucking he dished some out, but he took a lot. Definitely, I was impressed by him. Sabu wants to shake the hand of Louis Spicoli because he did such a great job. And uh, after a moment, Louis finally does it, but he looks very disappointed in his uh, loss. And I thought that was nice. Because Sabu doesn't have to shake anybody's hand. No. No. It's fucking Sabu. And, you know, real recognize real. Luis Piccoli is a better worker than a lot of people we've seen in this company. Absolutely. (laughs) He makes uh, the Sandman look like the Sandman. And Tommy Dreamer look like Tommy Dreamer. So Spicoli and Sabu and RVD going to become a little team? or? I mean, it'd be fun. That would be a fun team. But I, I feel like probably not. I think Louis ends up. I know his end fate, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember how long. I don't know anything. I can't remember how long Louis is with us. Uh, He is with us about a year and a half after this point here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't know anything about this man, so I guess I'll just find out in the future. He likes the nose candy quite a bit. Mm. Anybody that does, anybody that tries it does. Don't do drugs, folks. He makes it to. Like a week and a half after his twenty seventh birthday is what it said. Rush, I mean, uh, rough, not rush. That's Road Warriors. Also, one of my favorite bands. Good movie too. Oh, I never saw it. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> Eric Clapton soundtrack, I think. Yeah. I only know that because I've had to listen to so much damn Eric Clapton in my life, <laughs> but haven't seen the movie. So we go to our ninth match: Raven, Prime Time Brian Lee. And Stevie Richards versus the Sandman, Bam Bam Terry Gordy, and Tommy Dreamer. 
with Missy Hyatt, Beulah McGillicuddy, and Kimona Wanalea for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship in a Rage in the Cage six-man match. Yeah, and this was another one that took me forever to figure out what's going around. on. It's like, yeah. how overbooked <laughs> is this? Believe me, I think I had, if I hadn't read it, I probably wouldn't have understood exactly what was going on. <laughs> the, um, I didn't know that, not OVW, but I, did, I guess Brian Lee was like a big, I think he was a, the, a big heel in Smoky Mountain. Like prior yeah. to this, which I was unaware of, but he was recently. also the fake taker. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was a fake taker. Bigger payday than any of those other things, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, and then the the little moment we have coming up towards the end of the match here, it was just like, uh, what what could have been? So Joey starts <laughs> explaining the rules, and let's see if we can make some kind of sense of it. Mm-hmm. Raven and Sandman are going to start in the cage. Richards and Gordy start atop the eagle's nest, and the first one that gets to the cage can enter, making the match inside the cage a two-on-one affair. While Lee and Dreamer are in a false count anywhere match and really have nothing to do with what's going on inside the rink. Okay, well, the... And... Okay, sorry. The only way the title can change hands, is if Stevie Richards is the one who's pinned. Yep. Where's the Where's the old, like, you know, this sounds like, uh, reminds me of some early NWA Jim Crockett pay-per-view stuff, where they're like, all right, well, here's four pages of rules. But at least they gave you the rules. Because I didn't even know the Tommy thing was a false count on the floor. I was just like, well, I guess they're just fighting on the floor. I didn't quite get that part of it yeah that, i did i caught the stevie thing i caught the the eagle's nest thing like i said some of it if i probably hadn't read it yeah in some other things because like trying to figure out what was going on yeah yeah if it makes you feel any better i think i got all but the tommy thing i want to love tommy dreamer but can can anybody really be bothered i mean beulah and beulah yeah yeah they're probably bothered more than they like <laughs> So Sandman makes his way out to the ring where Raven has the mic telling him that he can have Tyler back if Sandman will leave him be. But as he contemplates the offer, Raven attacks and delivers a DDT and several cane shots before locking on a figure four. And Gordy finally comes out and heads to the eagle's nest where Stevie catches Bam Bam with a super kick as he climbs the ladder. Sandman's tossed in the cage, allowing Prime Time to help out Raven by choking Sandman from the floor. Gordy then sends Richards into a wall to bust him open, hammering him with right hands for a two count. Bam Bam then throws Stevie off the platform and carries him towards the ring, but Lee meets him in the aisleway to attack with right hands, chair shots, and ramming Gordy's head into the cage. Sandman's back in the figure four inside the ring when Dreamer makes his way out with a trash can to the head of Primetime, which busts him open. Now Blue Meanie and Supernova come out as well, only to receive trash can shots as well. Lee is then tossed into the front row before getting chair shots and dragged to the bleachers, where Tommy is shoved off to the floor. Bam Bam has made his way into the ring to go throw Raven into the cage multiple times, as we see Richards with a crimson mask on the outside. Stevie climbs to the top of the cage and he dives off, 
only for Gordy to catch him with a shot to the gut on his way down for a near fall. And Bam Bam hits several vicious lariats for a two count before taking Richards down with the oriental spike while Dreamer uses a Asiatic. on primetime still in the crowd. Gordy continues the punishment by pile-driving Stevie, followed by one for Raven as well, but only for near falls. It's a hard one to keep track of. <laughs> Tommy then rams Lee's head into a lighting pole. More chair shots as Bam Bam suplexes Richards for a two count. And Primetime and Dreamer have now made it back to ringside, where Tommy's thrown into the door that was used earlier, while Stevie takes another pile driver from Gordy in the cage. And Tommy tries for a suplex, but it's blocked and reversed, sending Dreamer down hard to the concrete. And Richards makes it back to his feet to hit a pair of Stevie kicks, but Bam Bam no-sells and nails another lariat for a near fall. Now Gordy's just hitting anyone that gets in his way as Sandman even gets punched down. Yeah, Terry Gordy uh, doesn't give a fuck. When Lee would jump in the ring to brawl with Bam Bam, and they fight their way out of the cage, leaving Sandman alone in the ring with Raven and Richards. And Gordy and Primetime continue to brawl when Tommy would re-enter the fray with his trash can and a DDT of Lee onto the concrete. Now Dreamer enters the cage and he super kicks Stevie, followed by a cane shot to Raven causing him to release the figure four that he had on Sandman. And Tommy handcuffs Raven to the cage, looking to reenact the chair shot heard round the world from the last heat wave while Sandman continues to cane Richards. All of a sudden, Tyler and Lori Fullington come out, with Sandman's son climbing into the cage to protect Raven. And Sandman won't swing the cane, but Dreamer has a chair and yells, Fuck you, you little piece of garbage, <laughs> and goes to swing. When Sandman would stop Tommy, saying, That's my boy. Yeah, Tyler's... Uh... Crucifix pose. It's so funny. He's three feet tall. Looking up at Raven at first, and I think that's when Raven's like, turn around. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you can, yeah, you can move that child without doing any harm to him. <laughs> Sandman and Dreamer start to argue when Nova would clip Raven free with some wire cutters, allowing him to shove his opponents into each other before delivering a DDT on Sandman for a two count. And he does it, like, right in front of them. It's like, how do they not see it? It's very funny. I guess they can't do much about it, but this is the biggest spot Supernova has had yes. in his career. So everybody's in the ring trying to make covers on each other when Raven would throw Stevie into the cage, allowing Dreamer to go low and DDT Raven for a near fall. On the outside, Meanie, Nova, and Primetime are stacking tables near the cage, before Lee would begin to climb to the top of that cage, only for Tommy to meet him there. There's a couple of uh, large men to be at the top of a cage. They brawl atop the cage until Lee is able to choke slam Dreamer through all three tables. While Sandman blocks and reverses a DDT of Raven inside the ring for the pin and, and the win. win. Post match, prime time chokes out. All of the ladies around ringside. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's funny. And Gordy challenges Lee to get in the ring 
and they start brawling again. Terry Gordy has no idea where he is. When Primetime would hit his bedrocks, while Meanie and Nova help Raven to the back. And officials check on Tommy while Joey says his goodbyes. And we fade to black. This is Joey Styles saying, Oh my god. But <laughs> yes, he says it fired. yeah. But he says it in uh, exasperation. I overdid it, uh, instead of yelling inside and saying, Oh my god. And it's just like well, I mean, what the hell tells what the hell else is he supposed to say? <laughs> Same man won, but he doesn't get the title because he didn't pin Stevie. Yep. But he did pin Raven. So which is he, a big deal. Which is a big deal because Raven hasn't been pinned in yep. quite some time. Yeah, I can't even think of the last time he was pinned. And I kept watching going, why hasn't Raven just pinned Stevie and just end it? <laughs> not, a bad, not a bad angle to take. That'd be the WWF way yeah. of going about it. Though. Maybe one of the funniest things I've seen in all of ECW is uh, right before this match ended, there was somebody in the crowd wearing a 10,000 Maniacs t-shirt. I saw that. Maybe the funniest band shirt you could wear to an ECW show. Because there's only 1,500 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Good shit, Matt. But it's like Natalie Merchant. <laughs> Not I mean, Rob Zombie I mean, or uh, like those fucking Alice in Chains. They have probably lost their mind to candy. So. They probably have. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Heat Wave 96? I was not expecting the show to be as enjoyable as it ended up being. I agree, and I think I know why. I think... Granted, there were some great matches in here and a lot of great storytelling, but it has a better flow than the typical ECW format. Yep. Like, I know this last match is like super overbooked, but it's not boring, Mm-mm. and it could have been a mess. Like Terry Gordy, aside, he's he's great and impressive, but like he's just kind of he doesn't give a shit, and that's. That's okay. Mm-hmm. He's still Terry Gordy. He's, you know, a name and at one point was a potential superstar. Um, but the, like, walk and brawl stuff happens early. Axel Rotten has, like, a real match and takes a pinfall. And then, like, you know, all yeah. of the... The roster is, like, the biggest it's been with actual people that you care about or people that are impressive or and everyone's got a storyline going on yeah the gangsta's gangsta stuff was put at the beginning and actually followed up with stuff that interested you instead of being that sour taste left in your mouth at the end of a show that you thought was really good and then and then you get 27 minutes that feel like 45 yes uh and yeah this show it's like the format they swapped up the format and it worked granted they also uh have angles people care about i think the angle i care about the least is the gangsters and i guess i'm interested in the dudley's one now more than i was before but i it wore thin on me pretty quickly but devon has injected a lot to it but i still think it's one of the weaker ones for me personally yeah i totally agree with you guys this was a very solid show i mean like I'd probably say like every other match is high quality. Yes. Match. Yeah. And even the ones in between don't outstay their welcome, yeah. which is a huge fucking thing to say at EC, any ECW I mean, show. I think we can all agree the TV match is outstanding. Yes. 
maybe even yes. shortlist. I, I mean, would agree on that. Yeah, it's Shane Douglas is just so fucking good. And the main event, I, I will say, when it started, I was worried with all of the stipulations that were going on. I had a, I had a, I had a deep sigh. I yep. was like, "Fuck, okay, what's gonna what like?" But it, is this gonna be a chore? It turned out to be a very fun match, mm-hmm. and and it did not stay its welcome. No. That's that's the biggest thing, is that like it if it had gone on five minutes longer, oh yeah, it probably would have outstayed its welcome. Yep, but yeah. like just the the. Like cutting back you, and you, forth, you, like you, you, are, you couldn't. You, you are right. You couldn't with look the away. Lee and the Dreamer stuff, like on yeah. the outside. Like, what did it really have to do with any of it, other than to get them out there so Tommy could go through the three tables? That's and, really the only reason that was and even part of it. You also know that Tommy has been involved with like Raven and Sandman, so yeah. you have the the opportunity for the like what you know what it adds a little bit more drama because he could plus, potentially do something plus him going for the cane shot onto raven yeah it, they were able to redo the chair shot around the world stuff the call back to them last year G- putting gordy in that spot like makes no sense at all no, no. Gord- gordy's just there to beat people up there's no yeah there's no weight there the weight is just yeah. that he's terry gordy and so. he's the only crowd in the world that cares about terry gordy outside of japan maybe at this point Definitely. Like, he's not going to work on WCW show now. It's not JCP in, like, you know, 88. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments There's of this show? Shit. A lot of there great moments. moments. <laughs> it's hard. To, like, I think I'm just going to do character work stuff. And Shane Douglas, Francine's turn on the Pitbulls. Pretty out of this world. Um, and then Taz and the the Taz stuff has all been great, but this is the first time that it felt like this is the cherry on the top for like the like story he's doing. Because it's like, oh, we bring in a big guy and that has a name, and Taz beats him and beats him. And then, but now 911 shows up and he takes out 911 and it means even more. And people fucking hate Taz. Yep. And they hate Taz more than they like they give Shane Douglas shit, but they know he's like he's doing Ric Flair better than Ric Flair's done Ric Flair at points in his career. And they like yeah, the hate feels real. Sometimes you boo the heel because you appreciate the work. And I feel like that's more what's happening with Shane Douglas. Definitely got to give the flowers to Sabu. Yeah, he, he didn't have just one good match on this show. No, he didn't. He had two excellent matches yep. on this show. And Luis Piccoli was able to do that because we had that Sabu fighting big guys, yep. fighting big guys, and they changed that up a little bit on the last show. But this is a guy that feel like has a lot of potential, and uh, really, really put in the work to have a great match. With, you know, it's hard to say who's the hottest guy in the company, but you could easily make an argument for Sabu. He's definitely, he's probably number one as far as that goes. Yeah, the, that's a tough one because there's just a whole lot of, a lot of good moments on this show. The total elimination on Mikey, I mean, both total eliminations were great, but... 
Mikey just kind of got one on John Rick Ragdoll flipping the air. Best tag team finisher of all time. Uh Yeah, and that was one of that was a really good tag match. Yes, and we don't see a lot of really good tag matches in ECW. Yeah, might Um, be fun, but like good, like capital G good. And they stuck I mean, to mostly rules, with if, the exception of the chair the, shot. If it wasn't for the TV match, yeah, that tag match is my match of the night. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I could agree with that completely. And the tag match, like I said, outside of the chair shot in front of the ref, it actually followed tag team rules, which is important to me. But we all know they don't disqualify anyone for chair shots. No. They don't, yeah. So I wasn't that upset about it. We did get a weird DQ that they didn't really talk about early in the show. It was a no contest. No contest, yeah, sure. <laughs> so they were just like, y'all, no, y'all beating on them way too much. Yeah, yeah. like, okay, whatever. But Anything disappointing? I can't say I'm disappointed in the gangsters thing because they started the show with it, and it was short, and they didn't come back. Yes. I expected the gangsters and a bunch of tag teams to come back later and do this all over again, and it didn't happen. Yep, and that's one of the reasons that the show. I honestly uh, is expected so good. them to run out during the the tag match. Yeah, that would have been atrocious. I mean, I kind of mentioned it earlier when I was like, "It's the FBI versus the Dudleys," and I think it's a two on two tag match. <laughs> yeah, but it might be a four on four. I was like, I'm not real because like literally the person who gets pinned is. Big Guido, who I don't know if he was actually in the match, and that guy was really bad as well. But the Dudley stuff is also outside of the I mean, like brawling I, tag stuff, the messiest stuff on the show. I always. laughed at the Big Dick and Devon like yeah passing yeah. ships in the night, the opposite thing. Thing that like that was funny when it started, and then once they got on the ring, it was kind of like just like hit each other with chairs. Pin someone. Let's yeah, get this over yeah. with. Walk faster. Oh yeah, that's that's definitely the thing on the show that outstayed its welcome. But I'm not mad at it. No, that's that's like that's how I would put it. I mean, it'll it'll get there. It's necessary, but like you know, it's maybe almost the like low light of the show, and yeah. I don't hate it. It's the marathon, not a sprint. With uh, <laughs> yeah, with the Dudleys, obviously. How about best performer of the night? Uh, Almost impossible to choose, but do we just give it to Sabu? Do we give it to... I mean, Sabu had two Sabu quality had two matches. matches. Do, do we give it to Shane, mean, Douglas? Shane Douglas? Shane and Francine. I mean, Francine. Yeah, I'm just going to give it... number two. It's going to be... I, it kind of has to go to Shane Douglas, I think. I mean... kind of. I mean, it doesn't have to. Cause dude a lot of dude did so much character work in it, that match while yeah. also just delivering a great match as well he's a chicken shit heel yeah yeah the chicken shit heel that also has all of the tools i'm gonna give it to to little tyler uh <laughs> sure just for his three second pose turn, turn around tyler turn around yeah the worship uh, you yeah hi dad uh-huh yeah a uh yeah people's choice award to francine for uh, taking that bump and then also uh to uh the the people for protecting her so well because yep. we've seen plenty of women go through tables in our years of watching wrestling and that might be the safest one I've seen <laughs> how about most surprising 911 showing back up uh, yeah, for sure 911 Francine's mean, the Francine turn I think you gave I really us a, a heads up on the last ECW show about the return of of old Sal 
Well, this wasn't his yeah. first show back. Yeah, no, he was. He on the last one. He was on the last one, and okay. then this one, Big Guido was in the I mean, but that doesn't count. Luis Bagoli coming in and having a great match with Sabu. Yeah, Luis Bagoli is kind of the. Uh, I mean, I know he could do it just because I mean the dude worked with Eddie and Conan in AAA. Yeah, like so he has. I know he has the chops, but in WWF they put him fucking Rad Radford in the Body Donnas, and it's like it's a different. You can't, you yeah. can't show that off. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, but no, he uh, he had a quick mind about him to work with Sabu as well as he did. Like that shit's a hundred fucking miles an hour, like the whole time, and uh, he did great work. Yeah, I think he was the most surprising he was, yeah, for me. He was the most surprising as far as like in ring because we know what all these other people can do. It wasn't surprising that Shane Douglas did incredible character work. Yeah. It's just awesome that I mean, the story was done well. You were surprised about the Francine turn. Absolutely, yeah. That's up. That's uh, yeah. That might be the big one. That and nine one one. I feel like are like true surprises that you didn't yeah. see coming. You had a glimpse of the brothers of misdirection together at one point with the Underfaker and the You're Not Kane, Terry Bam Bam Gordy and Brian. Oh yeah. What's his face? The brothers of misdirection. <laughs> Great show. <clears throat> yeah. It should be watched. That might be the most surprising thing, too, is just the show in general. I was going into it going, oh, God, fuck, now what? And it was, it held it, then I found myself on my seat going, you know, oh, oh God, man. fuck, now what? Good, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like Heat Wave 98 is, like, kind of the most talked about, like, go-to ECW show for people to check out. And I think that uh, Heat Wave 96 is totally, totally a show that needs to be seen because yeah. all of the stuff before the all the storylines before that are like the storylines that are ongoing on this show it feels like they ramped it up and did all of them at to the best of the ability like i find this feels almost like payoff show even though these storylines are not finished it's like oh it feels like now now you're actually interested in about four to five things that have been boiling for a while. Yeah. And now it's time to put the pasta in the water. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. This week, the category is What's in a Name? It's just a name, a name, a name, a name. What's in a name? So five points for a correct answer. Three points if we go to multiple choice. I'm going to give you a name. It's the shoot name. You're going to give me the wrestler. The name is Michael Polchlopek. Fuck. <laughs> How do you spell Polchlopek? <laughs> P-O-L-C-H-L-O-P-E-K. Yeah. Okay. Which, uh, it just... Yeah, that's how you say uh, Polak in Polish. Polchlopek. Michael Polchlopek. 95% sure that's how you say it. Yeah, we're poaching his lower peck. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I mean, I'm going straight to multiple choice if it's an option, but Shane, if you'd like to guess, you go right ahead, my friend. I wish I could say I knew this one, but I don't, so let's, yeah, let's just go for multiple the multiple choice. choice. Okay, for three points, you're... Four options are Bart Gunn, Bastion Booger, Mikey Whipwreck, and Pitbull number one. 
Shit. I'm going to go out on a limb, buzz, and go with Bastion Booger. That is incorrect. <sighs> you're really good at doing the, like, who wants to be a millionaire shit. Where you're, I'm like, <laughs> like, what's he going to say? Is it going to be yes? Is it going to be no? Damn. All right, so that leaves me with Bart Gunn, Mikey Whipwreck, and who is the last? Pitbull number Pitbull one. Pitbull number one. I truly hope that that's not Mikey's name. I would find that unfortunate. But I don't know. I don't know his real name. Otherwise, I would have had the points. Michael Polchlopek. Polchlopek. I mean, I could see getting Whipwreck from Polchlopek. <laughs> and, the, you know... His and name. Now, the and, name is Michael. Being able to, and however fucked up you are, you would still at least still hear your first name and the last sound of your actual <laughs> name. I've never looked up the name for Pitbull number one. I don't know. Bart just doesn't look like a peck. Yeah, he seems to. Okay, I'm gonna go for Mikey, even though it's probably Bart. Yeah, Mikey. It's probably Mikey. Mikey. Is incorrect. Oh my god! It was Bart Gunn. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I was gonna say he's too a tan and handsome to be Polish. I can say that. I've got some Polish blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can say that too. I've had a Polish dog before. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I don't think anybody's uh, can offend a Polish person. I've eaten, I've eaten Polish sausage before. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Next week in your house nine. International incident. Oh my gosh, we're going going out of the country, not far out of the country, right. but out of the country. Going to be up in Vancouver, Canada, BC. Yep. So expect a good house because Canada shows up. Yeah, they don't get very many shows, so yeah. they do. I they mean, a good house in your house. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, I didn't even do that on purpose, but I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, this will probably be the most attended. Wow. I mean, at this point, in my assumption, our ninth in your house in a year. Beautiful. Music from this week's show is Thunderkiss '65. Five five. Yeah. By Rob Zombie and Sandman made the pen. So, don't sue us, Lars, because we're going to play Enter Sandman by Metallica. Exit like. And if you like this episode or any of our other ones, go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Spotify. Oh, you finally got it on Spotify. We're on Spotify now. Nice. Moving on up. Wherever you find your podcasts at. Have any questions, comments, concerns? Recipes, drink ideas, interesting facts about Philadelphia or you know even Canada since we're going to Canada next. Uh, but you know Philly's always an option because we're always in Philly. Yeah, slide into our DMs. Something. Hit us up on the tweeters. Yeah, and give give us a five star. Yeah. I mean, this is, was a great episode of this show. I don't know if you just listened to it or not. Maybe you're already done listening, but I feel like this was a, a solid showing from us. So give us our flowers. You can do any of those things on email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Later, fuckers. <laughs>